Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And for those of you who are new, or maybe you're just jumping back in after a while, we're in a series right now called FAQs of Christianity. Um, FAQ stands for Frequently Asked Questions. And you guys have been logging online to pvnstudents.org and asking different questions. We've gotten several questions about this particular subject. Uh, and so I thought it best to just kind of cover it with one sermon. Um, and that's why both of you guys are in here, because I think it's an incredibly important one. So let me kind of set the scene um, with a little bit of a story uh, about me. A couple of weeks ago, my mom and I were looking through different things in the house to donate to Goodwill, because um, we're just awesome like that. And we were looking through, we finished up all the clothes and all that good stuff, and we have this kind of big box, almost like a big chest of books. And so we were looking through all kinds of different books that we wanted to donate, and I found my, and some of you may know what I'm talking about, my little baby dedication Bible, you know what I'm talking about? For some of you who are like, what is that? Um, we're actually doing it this Sunday, but it's called a baby parent dedication, where the parents come forward with their little babies, and they basically make an oath in front of God and in front of the church to raise the child in a godly way, and then the church is also taking part in that oath. So when, when you're there, uh, understand the seriousness of it, but while you're there, you'll see that you, by being there, are pledging to help the parent in whatever way you can to raise that child up in the right way. So the whole church is really involved, and it's, it's called baby dedication, but it's really a baby parent dedication. It's not just the child. It's the family. But, and I found my, my little Bible, and it has your, the date of birth and all that stuff. So I, and I was actually just a couple weeks old when I was dedicated. Um, I have been a Christian, excuse me, I have grown up in church my entire life, uh, and I've only been a Christian for five years. I didn't like my youth group, uh, mostly because I didn't speak to anyone. But instead of putting the blame on myself, I decided to make everyone seem lame or weird in my head. So that way I wouldn't feel guilty about not talking to them. Uh, and then we got a new youth guy, a new youth pastor, and he was so cool. Uh, he was hilarious. He wanted to be everyone's best friend. And as a youth, I just idolized this guy. Uh, I thought he was so cool, and I, st I still do, really. Um, he's awesome. He's a good guy. And, and week after week, I would sit in Wednesday nights, like you guys do, and he would make us laugh, and on some weeks he would make us cry, and on some weeks, the really big weeks, he would, he would, he would like make us cry so much that we would come forward. Like for you guys, it's like Oceans that does it and Reckless Love, but for us it was a song called How He Loves by Crowder that every time it played, you just, it just happened. And so we would come forward and all cry together at the altar because that's what you do apparently when you're in youth. And some of that's okay. Not a lot of it, but some of it. And, and this happened, right? And I was there for year after year after year, and I never learned anything about Jesus. I left youth ministry having learned some great jokes and I went on some great trips and I knew nothing about the Bible. And I had no answers to any issues. Race, sex, money, abortion, election, why aren't we Lutheran, what's the difference between us and Roman Catholics, what's the difference between us and Mormons. All these things were just kind of swept under the rug and ignored because nobody wanted to get anyone angry. And so we didn't learn anything. Right? Let me be honest. That is my nightmare scenario with you guys. That you guys would come here year after year and leave this building no closer to Jesus than you were when you got here. Um, and it's happening all over America tonight. Students are being entertained, students are being treated like they're stupid. 
and they'll leave their churches no closer to Jesus an hour later than they were before they got there. And that can't happen here. Uh, I refuse to allow that. Some of you guys have seen maybe on Sunday mornings, maybe at the church that you go to or at PVN here, um, Pastor Mac will preach in this big thing, right? Like this humongous thing. It's called a pulpit, for those of you that don't know. A pulpit, that word has not always been used um, as something that preachers preach from. And some of you fishermen may know, or fisherwomen may know, that pulpit is actually the name of the front tip of the boat. That's called the pulpit. Uh, and it is the part of the boat that is supposed to hit the waves first. It's the part of the boat that is supposed to hit the waves first. And since a preacher preaches from a pulpit, the fact that a pastor preaches from a pulpit is a way of saying that we're supposed to talk about the issues. We're supposed to hit the storms before anyone else does. Um, my dad, well, let me back up. I, I am good friends with and related to a cousin of mine, shockingly, named Russell Reed, who is a SWAT guy and a police officer. And my dad and he were talking. This was back when, like, you know when you're super young and you just hang on to, like, everything your dad says and you remember all. That's where I was at this. This was, like, eight years ago. And I remember my dad and Russell were talking, so I'm just, like, like staring, just taking it at all. And uh, my dad, in a, he meant in a good way, but he was like, Russell, you couldn't pay me enough money to be a cop. And Russell was like, why? And my dad said, because, think about it, everyone spends their whole day trying to avoid trouble. Cops spend their whole day looking for it, Right? And he's right. Um, in a different way, that's kind of what pastors are supposed to do as well. We're supposed to go towards the issues, the things that people really don't want to talk about, and we're supposed, that's what we're supposed to lean into and talk about them, but not just talk about them. If all I did was talk about issues, then we would be on like Fox or CNN, which would be cool for a minute. But my job is not just to talk to you about issues. My job is to tell you what Jesus says about these issues. That's what this whole series is about and will continue to be about for just a couple more weeks. Not just the issues, but what does God's Word say about these issues? And so we've gotten lots of questions on this topic and we've actually talked about, that's what Harrison and I were saying, we actually talked about this once before, um, but we're going to do it again. Let's talk about your parents' favorite subject. Let's talk about the reason nobody likes social media anymore. And let's talk about the reason that it seems like a lot of church people are very angry. Let's talk about politics for a few minutes. Um, and Coach, I, Coach Ackerman took a swing at this a few weeks ago and did a good job. But I want to go back and cover a few more things. Uh, and I, I mentioned politics. I gave a talk on politics at Barry a couple weeks ago. And a girl in the front row like recoiled like physically when I mentioned politics. And I thought, that's not healthy at all. So let's talk about this. Um, and, and let's do this. So you're in Mark chapter 12. Um, this is an issue, and, and you're welcome to email me, but, and not that you would, but you get what I'm saying. This is an issue where it's really not about what your parents think. And I very rarely say that. The family is huge here. But this is not an issue about what your parents think. It's not about what the media tells you. It's not even really about what you think. It's about what Jesus thinks. And I believe that if we lean in for the next few minutes, we're going to be challenged and encouraged to look at this difficult issue through Jesus' eyes with the Holy Spirit's help. And let me explain this to middle school. Here, here's why you guys are in here, uh, because I realize you're like, a lot of you are quite a long way away from voting. Not as long as you'd think, but 
a while. Um, here's why you're in here. Because you guys are built to soak in things at your age. And ask the high schoolers before you. Uh, you're forming your thoughts and opinions right now. It's not like when you get into high school, the switch gets flipped, and you're like, now I'll start thinking about things. By the time you're in high school, your brain is starting to settle in on where you are on things. That's why I want to I talk to you about this early. So we're in Mark chapter 12. We're going to go through a Sunday school greatest hit. Look at Mark chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Mark chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. They came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we know that you're truthful, and you defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. So tell us, is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not? But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said to him, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. All right, let's break this down for just a second, and then we'll keep going. These people come to Jesus, right? Specifically the Herodians and the Pharisees. And so they come to Christ and they say, look, should we pay, and some of your versions will say taxes in general. Uh, it's really not just taxes all, should we pay all taxes to Caesar? That's not really what's being asked here. It is a specific tax. Some of, them, some of your versions will say a poll tax or the imperial tax or a tribute. Um, it's not talking about all taxes here. Poll tax is probably the best one to go with. It's talking about one specific tax, specifically called a poll tax or a head tax. And the cost of this tax was one denarius, which is why Jesus asks for one denarius. Does that make sense so far? Um, that's why Christ asked for it. And this is what the poll tax was. It was a tax you had to pay for your life. It, that's why it's called a head tax. Not because they'd kill you if they didn't, but it was a tax you paid just for being a Roman citizen. That was the poll tax. You pay it just for being a Roman citizen. In fact, the word here, and some of the high schoolers may catch it, the word here in Greek for this kind of tax is kinsos. It's where we get the word for census. And in census is where every so often the government will count its amount of citizens. And so for you to pay the Kinsos tax, you paid it just for being a citizen. Just for being a citizen of Rome, you had to pay a tax. And the Jews hated this. That's why they asked Jesus, should we pay it? They hated this because they didn't ask to become Roman citizens. In fact, and this is what you don't know, in fact, 25 years before this was written, okay, 25 years ago before this was written, the poll tax is released. And it goes over about as well as you'd think. So poorly, in fact, that this man named Judas the Galilean leads a military revolt to overthrow the Roman government. And he did three things. Number one, he refused to pay the head tax. He refuses to pay the poll tax. Number two, he takes an army and he cleanses the Jewish temple. Sound familiar? He cleanses the Jewish temple, kicking out all the foreigners, kicking out all the soldiers, cleansing the temple. And then lastly, he preached, Judas the Galilean preached, that he was going to bring what's called the kingdom of God, where God would be their king. No more Caesars. Only God would be their king. Now, he was captured and killed by the Roman authorities. 25 years later, this guy named Jesus comes along. And what does he start doing? Repent, for the what is at hand? The kingdom of God is at hand. And in, this is Mark 12. You don't have to look there, but in Mark 11, what did Jesus just do? He cleanses the temple. So these people begin to think that this, this Jesus, 
might be the next Judas the Galilean. He might be a revolutionary. So this is why they ask him, you've preached the kingdom of God, you've cleansed the temple, now to show that you're like Judas, are you, are you going to pay the head tax? They're asking him, are you a revolutionary? Are you finally going to get political victory for us? And it's also a trap, because if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, he loses Jewish support. If Jesus says, no, don't pay the tax, he's starting a revolt and the Romans will kill him. So Jesus is literally stuck between these two answers. And the answer he gives is unbelievable. So they're asking him, are you going to get political victory for us? Are you like Judas? Are you going to overthrow this system that we don't agree with? So let's see what Jesus says about politics and therefore what we should say about politics. Look at Mark 12. We're going to go 14 through 17. They came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we know that you're truthful and you defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but you teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? 15. Shall we pay or not pay? They're being very direct here. But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at, because that's how much it costs. Whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's likeness and inscription. Verse 17, And Jesus said to him, said to them, Then render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and render to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Why were they amazed? Let's find out. Right off the bat, they want an answer, right? And this is, this is so huge for us today. Right off the bat, they want an answer. Should we pay it? They ask him in 14. Should we pay it or shouldn't we? Then look back at 15. Should we pay the poll tax or not? So again, no fancy footwork, no preacher gotcha. They're asking him straight up, tell us an answer, yes or no. Should we pay or should we not pay? Do you vote Roman or Israelite? What bumper sticker is on the camp? Tell me right now, what do you vote? Pick a side. And Jesus won't do it. Christ's answer is so important for us today. Now, we're going to get into political parties in just a second. Everyone's going to go, and you'll get over it. If Jesus doesn't put himself into a political party, we disobey him when we put him into one. Vote Roman or Israelite. Do it. And he will not take a side. How can you call yourself a follower? And you hear this all the time. Or maybe you see it all the time. From your parents, from older folks, on Facebook, if any of you even still know what that is, on Twitter, all over the place you see this. How can you call yourself a follower of Jesus if you're going to vote this way? How can you call yourself? He clearly votes Roman here, right? He doesn't. That's right, because he clearly votes for the Israelite side here, right? He doesn't do that either. And here come where some of you are so enlightened and you say, exactly. He stays out of it, and so should we. We shouldn't vote. He doesn't say that either. In fact, Jesus is not anti-government. Yeah, gotcha. Jesus is not anti-government at all. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. And we'll get in. Don't worry, I'm going to answer the question. 16 and 17. They brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose likeness is on this? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, Then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. This is Jesus' way of saying, This belongs to the government. What they are owed, you need to give them. 
And here's the crazy thing, and Coach Ackerman covered this back in the day. Government is instituted by God. Government is not a man-made creation. Just like marriage is not a man-made creation. Government is built by God. Listen to, if you have a pen, write in Romans 13, 1-2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So the government that exists is only exists because God has established it. Consequently, whoever rebels against this authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Give to Caesar what belongs to him. Jesus is saying, if you owe Rome taxes, pay them. Now this is why this is unbelievable. Because the Roman Empire killed Christians by feeding them to lions or hanging them on crosses. This was government work. Just like roads are government work. Who pays for roads? What money is used to pay for roads? Taxes. Christians are killed by lions in the Roman Empire. Do you know whose money was used to keep those lions alive? Tax money. Paid by Christians. Do you know how the government paid these carpenters to build the crosses that killed Christians? Tax money. And Christ is saying, pay this. You, you guys are a lot of church kids, and so you know that Jesus died on the cross, but do you know that He helped pay for it? You may know that Christians were fed to lions in the early church, but did you know that it was these same Christians who were paying to help keep them alive? Jesus is saying so powerfully here, in a country that is anti-Christian, sound familiar? Show yourself as good stewards of your country so that even though your country may hate you, they'll never be able to honestly say that you hate them. Show yourselves as good stewards of your country so that even though your country may hate you, they'll never be able to say that you hate them. Christians paid taxes that kept crosses built and kept lions alive. And then they would be killed by those things later. Jeremiah 29.7. So, so many of you know Jeremiah 29.11, like it's the big Instagram verse, and that's fine. It's, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for you to prosper. Which is fine. But very few of you know Jeremiah 29.7, which is four verses before that. The Jewish people in Jeremiah 29 were imprisoned in a place called Babylon, a country called Babylon that was anti-Jewish. They were enslaved there. It wasn't as bad as Egypt, but it wasn't good either, right? This is what Jeremiah tells them to do from God. Seek the welfare, the good stuff. Seek the good of the city where I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of Babylon what? and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its good, you will have good. The Lord tells them to do two things for this country that they're in. Pray for it. Okay, Christian check, got it. But also to seek the welfare of the city that you're in. Seek the welfare. Do something. Be involved in the process. In 1 Thessalonians, uh, Christians, you, if you, again, if you think the Bible's boring, it's because you haven't read it. In 1 Thessalonians, there are these Christians who think that God's grace is so awesome that they don't even have to get a job. 
And Paul writes them, and literally half the letter is like, you need, to, you need to get a job. Go work. And I'm not telling you, you need to get a job. That's not the point. But the point is, he's telling us to be a part of the process to help your city. Be a part of the process that helps your country. And let me, be, let me tell you why I'm telling you this. My biggest fear is not that you guys are going to revolt. You guys are really sweet. I'm just not worried about it. It would be like the cutest revolt ever. My, if, like, if Lydia led a revolt, like really, come on. Like, my biggest fear is not that you guys are going to vote the wrong way. Like, that, I'm, I'm not against that. Like, my biggest fear is not that you're going to vote the wrong way. My biggest fear, look at me, my biggest fear, high school, middle school, is that you guys are going to check out. Just like I did. You see your parents going crazy about it. You can't stay on Twitter for longer than five minutes without listening to some fool. And so you say, I'm done with this. So you check out of the whole process. I don't have to worry about this, Ryan, because I'm never going to vote. I don't have to worry about this because I don't even care about politics. And let me just be real. I know, I know that it doesn't help when your grandpa or whoever gets in your grill and is like, you need to vote. It's your God-given right. You need to get out the vote. You need to, and they just like, it's in your blood pressure. Like they just get in it. Telling, I kn- listen, look at me. I know that doesn't help anything. Which is why I'm not here representing your granddad or whoever. The, by saying, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, Jesus is saying, you cannot, ch- look at me, you cannot check out from what's going on around you. You can't turn off. Maybe you've got two fools running for office. Not that that would ever happen, right? Or maybe you have three fools running for office. Or maybe the media is so depressing. Christ is saying, listen, don't look to the media. Or I can't stand Facebook and social media anymore. Christ is saying, don't look to those things either. Of course they're going to deter you from being engaged. Don't listen to your mom and dad getting mad about XYZ for the umpteenth time. I have friends whose parents watch the news every night and they don't watch it, they just yell at it. Like that's like they turn on for 30 minutes, it's like, oh, here we go again. And they just go crazy. If all you do is focus on that, of course you're not going to want to be involved. Christ is saying, look to me. Let me guide you. Let me give you the courage to engage in what's going on around you. If you look to these other things, it's going to make you not want to get involved. And I understand that. But look at me again. Jesus is saying, look to me and let me give you the courage to get involved in what's going on around you. To check out is to ignore the power of God. God invented government. To check out is to say, to not be involved in anything that happens in government is to say, God, I don't trust this system that you've set up. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. I command you to worship me and to treat Caesar with honor. But then we get to the second part, and this is way cooler. As if the first one wasn't cool enough, right? We get to the second part. Look at Mark 12, 15 to 17, and this is the big one. 15 to 17. Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought him one, and he said to them, Whose likeness is on this? Whose image is made on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God the things that are God's. 
And they were amazed. So they give Jesus this coin. Follow this. They give Jesus this coin and Jesus says, who is on this? And they say, whose face is on this? Caesar's. Well, then it's his. It's got his face on it. Therefore, it belongs to him. It belongs to him because it looks like him. Do you know another way to say that? It's made in his image. So it belongs to him. Jesus is saying, if something is made in a person's image, then it belongs to him. It has his likeness. It's made in his image, so it belongs to him. This is why they were amazed. Because Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Jesus is saying, this coin totally belongs to... Because look at it, it says, who does it look like? It's Caesar's, so it's his. Jesus is saying, this coin totally belongs to Caesar because it was made in his image and you are made in mine. So you belong to me. So you don't totally belong to a political party or to a system of government. You belong to me. Jesus is not trying to start a riot, so don't get any ideas. He said, but he is saying there's only one ruler that you are made in the image of. Only one ruler that you owe your unwavering, unquestioning allegiance to. Treat Caesar with respect because he is your king, but he is not your God. Your political party, now as you move into this, your political party should be, should be treated with respect, but it is not your God. You are not made in the image of an elephant or a donkey. You do not owe, nor should you give, a political party your unwavering, unquestioning allegiance. That throne is meant for Jesus. Don't give to Caesar what belongs to God. Now don't go home and say, Ryan said we shouldn't be in political parties, because then it's, it's, I'm done, right? But what I'm saying is, what Christ is saying is, you should not worship your political party. You should not un never question your political party. That seat is reserved for God. Do you remember Mark 11? You remember, I know you do, but do you remember the triumphal entry where Jesus rides in on a donkey and the, everyone just goes crazy? Like they start... With the, with the branches and everything. Jesus rides in on the colt of the donkey and everyone starts freaking out. And we've talked about this before. Here's why. Because riding in to a city on a horse was the position of a conquering king. A king would ride into the city on a horse, exposed like that, only if he's conquered the city. But Jesus doesn't ride in. So he rides in as a conquering king, but he rides in on a donkey instead of a horse. He rides in not the way we think he should, which is Jesus' way of saying, I am a conquering king, but not the way you think. Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, if you think you can help the world through politics, you should. It's good. You can help. Politics is good. Jesus invented politics. But by entering on a donkey's colt, by saying, give unto God what is God's, Jesus is saying, if you think you can help the world through politics, you're right. But if you think you can save the world through politics, you couldn't be more wrong. 
Only one king can save, and mankind didn't vote him in. So let's talk about this. If you're a Christian, should you be a Republican or a Democrat? Here we go. Um, this is how this looks in Christianity. Let's go over to the right. <laughs> okay, if you are a Republican, like you've got an elephant tattooed on your back, and you are as far over to the right as you can be, right? <laughs> you're so far to the right, you don't... Here's nine times out of ten. The reason people are literally like banging into the wall, they're so far to the right, is not just because they believe that their side is good, but they believe that that side is evil. It's not just about right and wrong. It's about we are the good, God-ordained side. These are the evil ones on this side. You see how they're hanging on like this? Like, this is, this is good, this is God-ordained, this is godly, this is right. These people are evil and wrong. I will never mix with them. Ever. You see how they're hanging on to this? When you become a Christian, this happens. You begin to let go of how hard... You, you see how I will always vote Republican, I will never not vote Republican, Republican all the way, I will never question no matter who the candidate... You're giving, you're giving to Caesar what belongs to God. You're never questioning... Never even thinking twice. That belongs to God. You see how you're worshiping your political party? When you become a Christian, you begin to let go of this and move closer to the middle. Now I'll explain what the middle means in just a second. It doesn't mean what you think. Let's go to the left. Because I think that's the popular thing now. If you're a Democrat, and like you have a tattoo of a donkey killing an elephant on your back, right? Just graphic. And you're like, I will always vote for this. This is right. These people are all old. They're angry all the time. I'm never going to get involved with them ever. This is ridiculous. Why are they always so angry? I'm always, you, see how, you see how it's not so much about right and wrong anymore? It's about how you think these people are evil and stupid? You are giving to Caesar what belongs to God. And when you become a Christian, you start to let go of these. You can't hold on to God and your political party at the same time. Does that make sense? When you become a Christian, you let go of these things and you hold on to God instead. And you stand for what you believe, but you don't worship it. And you move over to the middle. Now when I say the middle, I don't mean that you begin to let go of what you believe. You let go of your, well, maybe, maybe it's okay to be pro-choice, or maybe it's okay for this, or maybe it's okay for bigger government. I don't, like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you move closer to the middle in terms of you're willing to reach across the table and agree or work with the other person. Or at least respectfully disagree. Does that make sense? As you become a Christian, you stop worshiping your political party and you begin to move over to the middle in terms of you're willing to work with the other person. You may completely still disagree. That's okay. But you understand that as a Christian, the enemy, look at me, as a Christian, you understand that the enemy is not to the left or to the right. It's in your own heart. Jesus didn't die to save you from Democrats. He didn't die to save you from Republicans. He died to save you from you. And when you understand that he's done that and that you're the enemy, the other people aren't the enemy anymore. You can disagree with them, but they're not your enemy. And so you stop posting about it all the time like you're angry. Gosh, I wish some of your parents weren't in here. <laughs> Then I understand. Now, let's do one more and then I'll close. Let me talk to those of you who are in the middle. You, by the way, are not as enlightened as you think. There was a group of people called the Essenes in Jesus' day who did this. They just completely removed themselves from everything that was involved. You're in the middle. I don't care, Republican or Democrat. Everybody's stressed out. Everybody's old and angry. I don't want to be a part of this. I'm not doing it. So I'm just going to stay here and not vote. 
or not be a part of whatever. I'm not saying you have to vote. I'm saying you need to be involved. So I'm just not going to get involved. I don't want to be a part of this. Let me talk to you for a minute. That's where I think a lot of you are. When you become a Christian, you begin to do either this or this. You begin to move one way or the other for two reasons. Number one, because Jesus has commanded you to engage. You are not allowed to check out and be a Christian at the same time. And as a Christian, we follow what Christ says, and he says to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He says that I invented government. It is good. You're to be a part of this process. And then number two, but here's the better one, so don't just think I'm popping you. Number two, you pick a side because the gospel gives you hope. This is the reason so many of us aren't involved, because we don't think there's hope. They're just old and angry. I'm going to get old and angry. I don't want to do that. There's no, I'm just, there's no hope. But then we meet a God who's bigger than the person who's old and angry. And out of hope, we begin to see that God created the world and that it is good, and I want to help make the world better. So I'm going to jump over here and try to get involved. I'm going to jump over here and try to get involved, to the left or to the right, to help make my world, my community, better. And here's the great part. If you jump to the right and you get in there and you're like, whoa, this was not, mm -mm, I don't agree with any of this stuff, you're allowed to switch. <gasps> I think Zeb just passed out. If, you, if you're on the left side and you say, this is what I want, and then you're like, whoa, this is not at all what I thought it was, you're allowed to switch because you're not, your soul is not tethered to a political party anymore. It's tethered to Jesus. You see the freedom in that? You're not bound to one of these anymore. And it's okay to love this party or to love that party. But you, are, you need to watch yourself to make sure you don't belong to either of them. And when I say belong, I mean you owe your unwavering allegiance to them. I want you to get involved. This was a huge sermon for me. I've been riding the fence for too long. And I'm not telling you that you have to vote or that or that makes you a fool or a non-Christian. I'm not saying that. But I hope the reason that you don't vote is because you got into the issues and you couldn't figure out which way you wanted to go, so you held back. Not because, well, I didn't research at all, so I'm just not going to get involved. And I get that so many of you are so far away from this, but golly, I wish someone had told me this while I was your age. Last thing. I want to recommend to you a book. I know. It's called God and Government. Guess what it's about? It's called God and Government by a guy named Mark Dever, not Denver, God and Government by Mark Dever. It's $6. It's 50 pages. Freak, you guys are ridiculous. It's not bad. Anyway, summer's coming up. Could be something to look at. I promise you your parents want to talk to you about it. Um, anyway, does this make sense? Thank you, Misty. Does this make sense to you guys? Do you follow me on this? That's the key. Your unwavering allegiance is to Christ. So let's pray, and then we'll be finished. Thank you.